Welcome to another production of the Latin Mass Project. This is episode five. Today we're going to be talking about the structure of the Mass. Um, I'm Michael Sauter once again, and this is uh, Joseph Gunyavich with me. Pleased to be here, Michael. Yes, thank you for being here with us, Joe. So last time we ended in episode four, we ended talking about uh, the sung parts of the mass, specifically the things called the propers and the ordinary, um, the you know the curiae, the gloria, and the introit and the gradual, and these sorts of things. Um, but these are obviously parts, but not the whole. And I think we want to get a broader picture now. So those are the parts that the the faithful are most familiar with. Uh, because they participate in that most actively. But um, what is the broader structure then in which this is all taking place? Right, Michael. Remember back in the first episode when we talked about the word mass, and we talked about how the word mass really means a dismissal. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, the mass is comprised of two dismissals. And this is how the term came about, that that if you were part of one group, you would stay to one dismissal. And if you're part of the other group, you would stay to the other dismissal, right? Okay. And so then and then you might say, in, in Latin, the word odd can mean um, a four. So you might say, I am staying odd misam. I'm either staying for the first dismissal or for the second dismissal, and and that means since the word for dismissal is mass, means I'm staying for mass, right? Okay. And these two dismissals are the dismissal of the catechumens and the dismissal of the faithful. Remember, catechumens are the unbaptized who have already expressed a desire in front of the church to be baptized and are in training. So at one point, they would be sent away. And hmm. so the catechumens would stay until the dis- first dismissal, which was called the Misa Catechumenorum, or the Mass of the Catechumens, the dismissal of the catechumens. And the faithful would stay for the entire thing until the dismissal of the faithful, the Misa Fidelium, the Mass of the Faithful. So um, when the Mass of the catechumens dropped out, when the catechumenate dropped out, the entire thing became known as the Mass after the, the Mass of the Faithful. This is the major distinction. The part that catechumens would have stayed for, and the whole part that includes only the things that only the faithful could have stayed for. What are these things specifically that the faithful would be at, but not the catechumens? Broadly speaking, it's the mysteries, the sacraments. So in the Mass, the sacrament of the Mass is, is the most holy sacrament, the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this was seen as being so precious, so important— that they took the words of Christ and applied it to them. The words where Christ Christ said, Give not what is holy to the dogs, nor cast pearls before swine, lest perhaps they trample them, and in trampling them they turn upon you and tear you apart. And the early Christians took this very much to heart, and they said, What is more sacred than these mysteries, these seven sacraments? Mm. Particularly, what is more sacred than the most holy sacrament? Right. And so these things were preserved for the baptized. I see. So the early church then took very seriously this idea of the mysteries and the initiate, those who have been are in the body. Uh, having access and having a full sort of participation in these things. Right. St. Basil 
notes that in his time, this is St. Babelsel the Great. I, I Do you know what time he lived? He lived like the 5th century or something. 5th uh, or 6th century. 4th century. century. Wow. Mm-hmm. So uh, St. Basil in the 4th century, he says uh, that at his time, no one would dare put into writing anything about the sacred chrism. We probably mm-hmm. don't even think about the sacred chrism very much. The oil that they anoint the newly baptized and the oil right. of confirmation and the oil that they anoint the hands of priests with. But it was so important that that only the baptized could know it. Uh, St. Basil goes on to say that one must not circulate in writing the doctrines of mysteries which none but the initiate are allowed to see. Principally, this mystery is, of course, the the most holy sacrament, um, but it's other things as well. So, for instance, um, they would have only taught, been taught the Our Father eight days before baptism. They were taught the Creed right before baptism. Yeah. Of all things, they weren't taught about the mystery of the Trinity in its completion until after baptism. The really? Eucharist, they weren't yeah. taught until the time of baptism. So, I mean, these things that you would think, you know, these are the things that you believe them and so convert. These were the things that they held precious and said, you must convert first yeah. before before you receive these things. And so they're, they're literally kicking out these catechumens who've already expressed a desire to be in the church and yet uh, are not fully initiated because they're not baptized. They're literally kicking them out at some point. What exactly was that point? Do we yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so it's a bit disputed where it was in every in every place. Um, uh, Adrian Fortescue says that in Rome it appears to have been right before the gospel, and that's also verified by Saint Ambrose in Milan because he says that after he after the uh, lessons and the tract. He had dismissed the catechumens. The tract, of course, is what you say in Lent, um, and we say the Alleluia the rest of the year. It comes right before the gospel. So it sounds like um, they would have dismissed the catechumens right before the gospel, and that would make sense because the gospel contained the mysteries of the faith. So you would lead them in the same kind of pattern that God had led the uh, Jews in through the Old Testament, first revealing to them the oneness of God and and other things, up until the revelation of Christ. And so it would make sense to dismiss them right before the gospel. So other people might say, well, the mass of the, some of the old Latin missals say the mass of the faithful begins at the offertory, which seems like a natural division. But we would say, well, in the ancient Roman liturgy, it seems to have been from the beginning of mass until the uh, tract or the Alleluia, which is when you would have the mass of the catechumens, the dismissal of the catechumens, and then from the gospel until the reception of communion, which is where you would have, after the reception of the communion, you would have the mass of the faithful. Right, yeah, the dismissal. Yeah, the dismissal <laughs> of the faithful, exactly. Right, right. So what time period are we talking about exactly? Uh, you mean you, We mentioned St. Basil in the 4th century. And then also, do we have a name for this? I mean, uh, historians, have they called this sort of silence something? The period of time that we're talking about covers some of the most unknown times in the liturgy. Um, this is called in the more recent scholarly texts, the disciplina arcani, which means literally the discipline of the secret. This term was not the term that they used back then. Okay. They they called it secret, but they didn't really think of it as a thing. That's more historians came up with that, right? Uh, and um, so that actually is very frustrating to us because if you weren't allowed to write down anything about this or even like 
tell somebody that, you know, when the rumor's going around that we eat the body of Christ, what it means is we really are eating the sacrament that looks like bread and wine. If you're not allowed to tell anything like that, you're not certainly not allowed to write down the texts of the Mass, which means that we have this period of time from the first centuries until about the fifth century where we don't really have a lot of the texts of the Mass written down. They're kind mm. of transmitted orally because to write them down would be uh, to break the Disciplina Arcani. The Discipline of the Secret, I, we don't know exactly when it first began. It could have been of apostolic origin, but it developed in the second century at least, the third century. Yeah. But it kept on getting stronger and stronger. And as persecutions persisted, it got stronger. And they would say less and less and invite people to less and less of the th- of, of the sacraments yeah. and tell them less about it as it went on because of persecution. But you might have thought, well, at the conversion of Constantine, Christianity becomes legalized. So that's the point where they're going to uh, just tell everybody everything. Right, yeah. But that's <laughs> not actually the case. Initially, right after the conversion of Constantine, um, and I guess even a little bit before then, right after the persecutions began to die down, what you got was a strengthening of the Disciplina Arcani, because there were all these pagans that were beginning to look into it. And they said, mm-hmm. it's even more important now that people are looking into to this. To maintain that. To maintain it, yeah. yeah. So the Disciplina Arcani continues until about the 6th, 7th century, where it begins to die out quite clearly because society is now largely Christian and there's no need for it. got gender sort of the general outline if you will but these two divisions this two division the mass the catechumens and the mass the faithful um so could we get more specific now and then also trying to place those parts we've already mentioned in the previous episodes um about the propers and ordinary sort of situating them now within the more specific structure right so we have these five proper parts the introit goes right at the beginning of Mass. So it's right at the beginning of the Mass of the catechumens, Mm -hmm. right? And that is the first proper. And then the Kyrie comes immediately after that. And then the Gloria comes immediately after that. Um, And those two are ordinary chants that we talked about. Right. And then after that comes the opening prayer and the readings from the scriptures until the end of the Alleluia or the tract. Um, so we get the gradual and the Alleluia are also part of the Mass of the Catechumens. Mm-hmm. And then the Mass of the Catechumens would end right before the Gospel. So you get the Gospel followed by the Creed, which is our, our third um, ordinary chant, and then followed by the um, Offertory, which is our fourth proper chant. Right. right? And then you would have the um, preface dialogue 
and the preface, the Sanctus, which is the fourth ordinary chant, and then the uh, Eucharistic prayer called the Canon or the Anaphora, and then the Our Father, and the Peace, and then the Agnus Dei, which is the last ordinary chant, and then the um, the the Communion, which is the last proper, and then the closing prayer and the and the ma- the dismissal of the faithful, right? And so what you end up getting is sort of this dis- this division of the sung parts that the choir and the people would be singing throughout the Mass of the Faithful and the Mass of of the um, Catechumens, uh, and so. It's the same basic structure that the mass still has. Right. Today. I was going to say it sounds quite familiar to those, you know, we're used to the mass in Novus Ordo. Uh, but there's also a difference, right? Because even while, especially at the beginning, while the choir is singing the introit and the curie, um, the priest is doing something else. So you've got this overlapping going on. Um, it's a little bit. Uh, a little bit spooky, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong word, but it's a little bit different to hear yeah. the sounds coming from the altar while the choir is singing. Right, I guess multiple things it's happening. always struck me that we talked last time about the different functions of the body, you know, and the choir having a role and the people having a role and the priest, you know, sort of all being part of this organic whole. And that is showing it. You've got this... You know, the choir is doing their thing, lifting up the praises of God, even while the priest is at the altar asking for mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something symphonic about it. There's this integration of different parts into a ordered whole that's very beautiful um, in the Mass. So it's a little bit like a body, isn't it? Right, yeah. Yeah, every member doing its own proper thing. Sometimes the hands are moving while the mouth is talking. Right. But I think it also makes it perhaps a little more confusing for someone maybe when you first. first go this is why there that advice was given to first few times you go to the traditional latin mass to not try to follow everything but just watch and unite your heart you know the basic basically what's going on and just take it all in because there's a lot going on at once it really has been in the reform it really was kind of simplified into one thing happening at once right yeah exactly but this just in the official books a lot is happening at once at the at the traditional latin mass and that's not even taken into account that people participate in it in their own way which drives a lot of people crazy because you see some people even praying the rosary and stuff at the traditional yeah. latin mass <laughs> which i mean isn't isn't um the ideal that say pius the 10th held out but it really is the case that that different people participate in it in different ways and there's there's a lot going on right at the mass. yeah so there's great richness in this, and so we've kind of layers. Yeah. So in this part on the structure, we're just laying out so the basic framework, uh, like we what we've been doing in past episodes as well. But I think it's important, obviously, when we do start talking about more specifics, to have this sort of laid out, and to also see how all those sung parts we were talking about, they have their proper place in the liturgy. Um, and now we can see them in the in the light of the whole, I guess. So thank you, Joe. Thank you very much, Michael.